Well, hey, if you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we uh, jump into our second week in this uh, series and study through this book. And as you're flipping there in your Bible, I just have two questions, two kind of direct questions I just want to ask us to start. And the first question is this, uh, where is your hope resting right now? Where's your hope resting right now? And the second question is this, uh, how is the pursuit of holiness going in your life right now? Now, I think both of those, you're like, man, like, those are kind of deeper questions than just a one sentence or a one word answer. And I think even in both of those questions, like I know when I hear them, like conviction can set into my heart because, yeah, I, I've got to admit that my hope can begin to uh, drift towards things that I shouldn't have hope in. And, and this pursuit of holiness, right? Who can say like, oh, I'm crushing that one. I, I, there's always a gr- greater desire for holiness. And, and you hear those questions, you're like, man, if this is just a message about like, uh, you know, have more hope and, and be more holy, I think all of us can kind of feel the weight of that. And yet this is a message on where our hope should reside. And this is a message on our pursuit of holiness. But I want to encourage us from the outset, as, as Peter comes to some very, very practical things in the life of a believer, uh, he doesn't just say, uh, have more hope and be more holy without equipping us, without worshipfully equipping us with what it looks like to actually see these things lived out. Uh, see, as Peter began this letter, he begins with just this amazing unpacking, worshipful of unpacking of all that is ours in Christ. Uh, We came to uh, verse 3 as the letter began, and just says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we said that's often a a sentence we see at the beginning of a letter, and we just kind of chalk it up to uh, one of those standard greetings. But it is that, but it's more than that in 1 Peter. See, what Peter is seeking to do for these Christians that he's writing to who are being grieved by various trials, uh, life uh, has pain, life has strain, life is stressful for them right now. And Peter, who's writing this from Rome under Nero's reign, he knows that life might only become more stressful and more painful and have more strain to it. He is seeking to hold the magnifying glass over the grace of God and all that is theirs in the gospel. And he believes that as grace is magnified, the peace of God will be multiplied in their life. And so uh, the first 12 verses are just Peter holding the magnifying glass over, going, look at all that is ours in Christ. It's this beautiful, doctrinal, like rich, gospel, doctrinal understanding. And then we come to verse 13, where we pick it up today. And the first word of verse 13 is, therefore, such a powerful word, such an important word. We know when we come to 13 and we see this word, therefore, we know um, there are some practical implications coming. Peter is going to tell us now, how should the child of God be living in light of all this doctrinal richness that we have in the gospel? And he's going to talk about hope and he's going to talk about holiness. But we can't just jump into these practical implications. Uh, Be more hopeful. Uh, be more holy without going back. Therefore, tells us, go back and understand again all that he has said. And so this seems like a fitting time for us to recite 
together wherever you're sitting the first 12 verses of this book. Now, we said last week that the challenge, kind of the gauntlet we laid down is for us to memorize the book of 1 Peter together in this season. And, and I know some of us heard that and we're like, there's just no way. I'm not even going to try to. And, and maybe mentally we just kind of threw in the towel from the beginning. Pick up the towel. We can do this. Certainly we don't have power in and of ourselves to memorize all of this book together, but we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And the word memorized and hidden in our heart will have implications in our life that are absolute blessings for the season we're in now and for the months and the years to come. And I would just challenge us, like if you've thrown in the towel and and you're not even attempting it, get on board with this mission and let's together memorize this book. I was thinking about it this week, and uh, senior year of high school, got a new wrestling coach. He um, uh, was coming uh, from Michigan State University, and uh, I remember in one practice, he stopped. He said, stop, stop, everyone stop. And we thought we were working hard. We thought we had pushed our bodies to the max. And he just said, your body can go so much farther than you even realize. You can push yourself so much farther than you even realize. I was thinking about this from a spiritual standpoint this week. The Spirit of God inside of us can enable us one verse at a time to go through this marathon together of seeing this whole book hidden in our heart. I want to press us towards this. And so, uh, whatever you have memorized, maybe you got the first four verses, maybe you got the first verse, maybe you got all 12, let's recite this together because everything that Peter has set up to this point is going to equip us for the practical application he has for us coming in the passage today. And so 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
and what has now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, in light of all of these things, the inheritance that you have in Christ, the fact that he is keeping and holding and guarding this inheritance, the fact that he, by his great mercy, has caused you to be born again, in light of all that, how now does the child of God live in the magnifying glass stays over the grace of God. And we see today this reality, that magnified grace manifests hope. Magnified grace manifests hope and motivates holiness. And so let's look at this together. Pick it up with me in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, first point, write it down, is this. Set your full hope on future grace. Set your full hope on future grace. Now, um, there's some things from verse 13 that we have to understand. Like, what is hope? We all got to be on the same page. Or what are we talking about when we're talking about setting our hope? Uh, why this, the, why this uh, uh, future grace, this grace that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ? And then how do we do this? How do we set our hope fully on this? And so uh, let's answer the first question. What is hope? Uh, hope is a passionate assurance that resides in the heart. A passionate assurance that resides in the heart. You know, so often you, uh, you and I both know how we use hope. Man, like I really hope that happens. I really hope we can go there. And our, uh, how we often use the word hope, it's kind of like this 50-50 thing. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. For the Christian, uh, hope is an assured thing. Because of what Christ has done, because of all that we have in the gospel, we have an assured hope. And so hope is this passionate assurance that resides in our heart. Um, but what are we to set our hope on, does verse 13 tell us? Uh, set your hope fully on the grace, and then it says this, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's this reference to this future aspect of grace. So what is this future grace? Didn't Jesus show us his grace in the past on the cross? Absolutely. Aren't we experiencing the blessings of grace currently, presently, right now? Totally. But this future aspect that the Christian, we set our hope fully on this grace that we're going to know fully and finally on the day we are in the presence of Jesus. When he is revealed to us, Peter is saying, get your hope fully on that. Not partly, not a little bit, not one foot of hope on that and one foot on something else. Set your hope fully. Get your eyes fully on that day when Jesus will be revealed to you. But how do we do this? How do we right now, like these Christians here who live in a life where we're walking through grievous trials, how do we set our hope fully on this day when Jesus is going to be revealed to us? Back to 13. Between the therefore and between the command to set your hope fully, we're told how we go about pursuing this. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And so what Peter has just done here 
He has connected the thinking of our head and the hoping of our heart. Uh, John Piper says it like this, biblical thinking serves, biblical thinking serves passionate hoping. You know, a phrase that sometimes you'll hear in Christian circles is stinking thinking. Uh, There is no such thing as stinking thinking and heart hoping. We have to be leading and guiding the things that we are thinking about as Christians. And this is what Peter is getting at here. He says, first, prepare your mind for action. Uh, There's this uh, phrase there in the original language that is hard to translate into English. It literally means gird up the loins of your mind. And so in Bible times, right, men would wear long robes. And if they had to come to a point where they needed to run or they needed to fight, they would gird up their loins. They would take the long robe, pull it through their legs, tuck it into their belt, and they were now prepared for action. Literally, the command here is that, or that we would gird up the loins of our mind. What does this really mean, though? I think what this means is this, that we would be people who are thinking with active excitement on all of these gospel realities. We can't just be passive in our thinking. We can't just let our mind wander off to whatever it's going to wander to. If I'm not actively leading my mind to rejoice in gospel realities, I'll I'll, kind of go into the gutter of self-pity and self-focus and all of these other things that are unhelpful and unredemptive. But the Christian prepares the mind for action, has active excitement on getting the mind focused on all that we can rejoice over in all that we have in the gospel. And then says, be sober-minded. Sober, we kind of understand what that means, right? Not under the influence, uh, not intoxicated. There's so much in the world we live in that can intoxicate our mind that our thinking can come under the influence of. Uh, To be sober-minded is to think with absolute clarity on these awesome gospel realities. And so prepare the mind for action. Be sober-minded. Put these things together. It's to think with an active excitement and absolute clarity on all that we have been given in Christ. But how do we do this? What are practices the Christian can partake in to feed their thinking towards active excitement over gospel realities and towards absolute clear clarity over gospel realities? Uh, four, four practices I would just lay before us today to move our thinking towards prepared for action, towards sober-mindedness. The first one is this. Recite the gospel to yourself regularly. Now, it might sound weird, but I would commend to you a practice that I will partake in often. It will feel a little funny at first, but recite the gospel to yourself out loud. I will say often, Brock, uh, you are created by a holy God who loved you and made you for a relationship. Brock, you have sinned against this holy God, and your sin um, is deserving of the penalty of being separated from him forever. He is perfectly just to never have called you into relationship. But Brock, he's loved you and he's lavished that love on you by sending his son who paid that death penalty for you. 
He paid it so you didn't. And Brock, through faith and through faith alone, not through your works, you can't earn it, but through faith and faith alone, you have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ has led to life, the abundant life with him here, eternal life with him forever. Recite the gospel often. It will lead to a heart, a mind prepared for action and sober mind is clarity on what the gospel is. The second practice, evaluate our intake vigilantly. So recite the gospel regularly, evaluate our intake vigilantly. What do I mean by intake? If the thinking of our head fuels the hoping of our heart if as john piper said biblical thinking leads to heart hoping we have to be really really intentional and vigilant on what are the things we're taking in that are impacting our thinking what are we reading what are we watching what are we listening to now this isn't some legalistic condemnation over reading watching or listening to anything that's not christian uh, just this week espn's documentary on the 1990s bulls and michael jordan last dance i'm loving it i'm enjoying that so it's not an indictment like only listen to christian things only watch christian things and yet we do have to be vigilant are we watching listening reading things that um are not fueling our excitement for the gospel, are not leading to us being prepared for action in our mind? Are we, are we reading, watching, listening things that are leading us to become intoxicated or under the influence by something that uh, is taking the clarity away from gospel realities? These are important things for us to think about. Uh, just this week, we're in the van, Got it on the country station. Some of you love me for that. Others of you are judging me for that. Um, I'm not even really listening to the lyrics that are coming out of the singer's mouth through the speakers into our van. Um, thinking about other things. And then all of a sudden from the back of the van, I hear that same lyric come out of the mouth of my four-year-old. And like my eyes get big and I'm quick turning for the channel, the, the station. And I'm like, it, it was this reminder to me how blind I can be to some of the things that like, I'm taking in in my mind, our kids are taking in in theirs. We've got to be vigilant in our intake. Third thing that I think can be a practice to move our mind towards gospel thinking, study scripture and doctrine deeply. So recite the gospel regularly, evaluate our intake vigilantly, study scripture and doctrine deeply. Don't be satisfied with like the... Uh, two-minute version of a morning devotion, uh, a quick little like snippet and then off we go. Sit in the Word of God. Think deeply about the doctrines being unpacked. As we do this, the active excitement over gospel realities bubbles up in us. The clarity over the gospel, sober-mindedness uh, is created in our mind. This is so important for us to do. Take time Take time mining deeply the riches we have in Scripture. And then the fourth one related to that, memorize Scripture passionately. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, Your words were found and I ate them and they became to me a joy and delight of my heart. I pray that we would know this, even in memorizing First Peter, 
that we would find the joy and the delight of our heart in hiding God's word in our heart. These things will help us prepare our mind for action. Uh, uh, They will help us be sober-minded in all that we do, and our thinking then impacts the hoping of our heart. Uh, Just really practically, like where is your hope residing? I know for me, I've, I've not uh, realized sometimes that my hope is resting in other things until that thing is taken from me. And that it's usually a painful season and it's uncomfortable. And yet God in his goodness rips out things that I'm about to place the weight of my hope onto so that I will be reminded that my hope can only be fully found on looking towards this day where I am in the perfect presence of my Savior. And so um, I think there's great opportunities in this passage just to stop and to discuss with whoever you're watching with or to think and journal about if you're just watching this yourself. And I want to I stop right here and I want to cue us into a time of discussion. Uh, how's your mind right now? How is your thinking right now? Talk a little bit more. Like, do I understand what it means to, to have my mind prepared for action? Do I understand what it means to be sober-minded? Talk about those things. Uh, I would commend to us, look at these four practices that I've listed out here. Um, What convicts you? What would you add to this list that can lead to greater biblical thinking so that your hope can be more fully tethered to this day? Jesus will be revealed. And then uh, where have you had stinking thinking about some things lately? That's leading to your heart, like kind of the, the hope bucket of your heart being punctured and the hope draining out. And how do you get that thinking back in a way that's rejoicing in gospel realities? And so take some time to discuss these things right now. And so magnified grace manifests hope. That our, our, our hope is fully on this grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But there's a second part of this that we need to see as well. That if uh, the first part was us setting our hope fully on future grace, the second point, write this down today, is this. Set your hands toward holiness. That grace magnified all the riches of the uh, the doctrine of the gospel of God should lead God's children towards a passionate desire for greater holiness. Look at what it says, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so um, for someone who is now rejoicing over all of these gospel realities, born again, bought and protected by Christ, looking forward to the inheritance, can't wait till the revelation of him in his fullness. Like we can no longer be conformed to our old ways. We, we don't even have a desire for the old us and the things that we used to find pleasure and enjoyment in. We just want crucified. We want gone. We don't want any part of that old ignorant way 
And Peter is just spurring us on towards that. Leave the way of your former ignorance. We have a weakening desire for the former things. Instead, pursue holiness as he is holy. So we are to be holy as well. And it says in all of our conduct. Uh, Wayne Grudem says, If Peter's readers will first know the great truths about our salvation and then begin a habit of visualizing themselves personally on a path of life, leading without fail to unimaginable heavenly reward, they will be mentally and emotionally ready to strive for a life of holiness before God. And that's like what I would commend to us, what Peter is commending to us, that we'd be striving towards a life of holiness to God. Yes, we are not striving without help. God has given us the helper, the spirit of God dwelling inside of us to prompt us and spur us towards holiness. But we are working under the influence and in the power of the Holy Spirit are striving towards greater holiness in our life. Why? Because we're rejoicing over all that we have in Christ Jesus. But as I said at the outset, I think we can all relate that so often in my life, it's not a matter of like, is this holy or is this not holy? I know. It's a matter of like motivation towards that which is holy. And Peter even here is going to unpack what is the motivation to move us, spur us towards greater holiness. Uh, Verse 16. Uh, Let me pick it up back in 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So what is some motivation to pursue greater holiness? Uh, uh, First piece of motivation is this, follow your father. This God who has been so great in mercy towards us, who is caused us to be born again to a living hope who has given us this inheritance with him in heaven this God who is now our father who we love we want to grow into a greater likeness to his character and like Peter says quoting the old testament here as he who called you is holy you be holy since it's written you shall be holy for I am holy holy. It's the desire of the son to grow into a greater character of the father. It's the desire of the daughter to grow into a greater character and likeness to the father. Recently, we were on the beach, and Erica and I and the twins were up front, and uh, Kaysen and Trey, our four- and three-year-old, were kind of lagging behind. And at one point, I turned around and I'm watching them walk on the beach, and I'm watching Trey, our three-year-old. He's, he's stepping in, in the footstep I had left behind, and then he's trying to jump to the next one and step in the next footstep. And I'm watching my little three-year-old trying to walk literally in the, his dad's footsteps on the sand. And it was this like sobering moment for me. I'm like, whoa, like I have these little guys who are watching their dad who are stepping in their dad's footsteps. And, and for a sinful man, that's a sobering moment, right? To go like, man, little eyes are watching you. Little feet are following you. But how much our perfect father, should we be hopping, seeking uh, with the Spirit's help to hop into his footsteps to grow into a greater holiness? Why? Because he is holy. Follow your father. 
But then Peter goes on to another piece of motivation towards holiness. He says this in verse 17, And if you call on him as father, who, what's that word? Who judges. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So a motivation towards holiness is that we would follow our father, modeling his character. Another motivation towards holiness is that we would fear our father. That Peter is calling on this theme we see throughout all of the Bible of a fear of the Lord. Why? Well, he is the judge and he is the final judge. He, he judges and we praise God that we're covered in the blood of Christ and that Jesus on the cross has taken that judgment for us, but it no doubt leaves the believer still in a spirit of fear over the fact that our Father is the righteous and final judge. But he goes on to expand this. Why do we live in fear? And it's a, it's a bit odd at how Peter expands on this. Go like, live in fear of this righteous judge that is your Father. Pick it up in 18. Knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He says, oh, fear this father. But fear him with a healthy fear. Fear him with a purifying fear. Why? Because this is the one who paid your ransom price, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of his son. And so we live with this fear of the Lord that is purifying, a fear that uh, that leads us to fear nothing else, a fear that is full of love because what he has done to call us to himself, that we would be motivated towards holiness by following after our Father, asking the Spirit to lead us to grow more into his character by fearing our Father for the righteous judge that he is, for the fact that he sent, like, my sin cost his son his life. Live your life in light of the glorious weight of that, this purifying fear. So my prayer is that we'd be setting our hands towards holiness. As Peter said here, that we would be holy in all of our conduct. And all of us can look at our life right now and we know the things we need to repent of. We know the places we need to see a pursuit of holiness um, Girl, we know the place we need to do a 180 and turn around and stop pursuing unholiness and begin to pursue holiness. And I think practically, we often, uh, when we know there's things we need to change, I got to grow in this, I got to stop this, I got to cut this sin off. We focus so much on the unholiness of our hands, the actual actions of the sin. And that's good and that's right. We should feel the conviction 
But unless we understand the connection of all of this passage, that the thinking in our head impacts the hoping of our heart, impacts the holiness of our hands, that we have to get to what is going on in my head and what is going on in my heart that's leading to some of the unholiness of my hands. That there's heart issues that lead to the practical outflow of sin, right? And I say that just to look at you wherever you are and say, like, this is why we are here. Not as perfect doctors who are past us. No, as, as, as pilgrims with you who are journeying to see sin crucified in our life and holiness increase in our life. But, but we're here as your pastors. We're here as elders. We're here with our soul care team to help you understand in a greater way what's going on in the heart, what's going on in your mind that might be leading to some of the, the, the sinful conduct in your life. Reach out. We want to help. I mean, very practically, at the bottom of the screen here, you're going to see uh, an email to our soul care team, soulcare at harvestindysouth.org. If you're like, there is sin in my life, and i got to deal with it. This has got to be cut out. This has got to be crucified. I can't go one day longer. Don't sit there in your house just kind of like feeling the weight of that. We are here to step into the trenches with you and help get to the hard issues that might be leading to that. And so I just commend you, reach out, we want to help. Remember something else here, that as Peter spurs these Christians towards holiness, this isn't a time um, where they have pain, they have strain, and they have stress. And if there are times in my life that like, I'm tempted away from a focus on pursuing holiness, it's times where I feel squeezed. I feel the pain and the strain and the stress. You no doubt have seen the illustration or heard the illustration before. That when you squeeze something, it's what's inside that comes out. Are you being squeezed right now? What's coming out? What's being revealed about the reality of your heart in a time that might be straining, painful, or stressful? What's that showing you about um, the thinking of your head and the hoping of your heart? And how do we bring that before the Lord, asking him to work in that? So I want to just cue us into a transparent time of discussion, even in this right now. When you read and hear that Peter saying, be holy in all your conduct, where, where is that convicting for you? Because it's convicting for me. When uh, you think about what needs to be dealt with in your life, what have you just been tolerating as a pet sin that you're like, no, you know what? God calls me to holiness. This has got to go, and I need help to sort out the heart and the head issues that might be leading towards this. Uh, what might be going on in your head and heart that God towards this? So this is a chance to be transparent. Uh, this time of discussion will only be as helpful as willing as we are to be transparent. And so take some time, process through this, and I'll be back to close this in a minute. Magnified grace manifests hope 
and motivates holiness. Again and again throughout the book of 1 Peter, we're just going to pull that magnifying glass over all the riches that are ours and the grace that God has given us. We're going to say so many things again and again, like this beautiful, broken record. But the reality, reality is, you know this and I know this, thou, those things that are precious to us, we never get sick of looking at again and again and again. And my hope is that we don't grow tired of looking at all that is ours because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's behold the precious truths of the grace that God has lavished on us. Let's let our minds excitedly and clearly think on all of these gospel realities. Let's lead our hearts to hope in these things. And let's lead our hands toward holiness that flows out of all of these things. And so for you this week, and whatever God has ahead, my prayer is that his grace would be magnified. Hope would be manifest and holiness would be motivated in your heart. Harvest, we love you, and we send you and commission you out towards the great commission call Jesus has left us. You are loved, and you are sent. Have a great week.